So, uh, Dr. Nieto, how did you develop a love for scotch? Well, a friend introduced me to scotch many years ago. She asked me if I like scotch. Right. She was a Kant uh, scholar. Okay. But one of the most eminent of the last century. Really? And I said I didn't like scotch, but that I knew that the teachers of my teachers, and I had <laughs> Charles DeConnick in mind primarily, right. as well as Monsignor Dion, I knew that they were great scotch lovers. Yeah. So I said, I, I don't have a taste for scotch, but I want to learn to like it. She said, mm -hmm. well, you might as well start with a good one. And she uh, t gave me a gave me a, a, a dram of Glenfiddich 18. Mm-hmm. I can't say I remember it well <laughs> or I knew what was going on. Right. But I started to pay attention to Scotch and uh, developed a real taste for Macallan. Okay. Uh, I was a Macallan 12-year-old man. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then uh, somebody, some friends and I were having an olive oil tasting and so mm -hmm. we also had a scotch tasting right. and I had a Lagavulin 16 for the first time okay. and I realized that everybody wasn't trying to taste like Macallan 12 mm -hmm. and so then I realized I had to really start tasting a lot of different whiskeys okay. you know, scotches and now you have quite a collection right? Uh, yes 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 uh, almost all my whiskeys most of my whiskeys are scotches mm -hmm. um, almost all of those are single cask okay. and cask strength whiskeys right. um, and I've had all but one or two of the distilleries in Scotland really yeah wow. yeah and I have a pretty good memory of what uh, uh, not what How many bottle tastes like, but well, that was the real problem. I found out that there are only about hundred okay. Scotch lot. distilleries, and then yeah. I thought, wow, you could taste them all. <laughs> it's not like wine, where you could just never, you can never right, really can know possibly. all the kinds of wine, much less all yeah. the distilleries. Right. But you can know a hundred distilleries. Are there any good Scotch distilleries here in California that you found? Okay, good. Uh, you can't make Scotch in California. Okay, it's my you, definition. But you, I, I know yeah, very yeah, yeah, little about yes. whiskey. I know yeah, you can make bourbon uh, anywhere in America okay. and rye whiskey. And those are the two great uh, American whiskeys. Mm -hmm. um, I, I understand that when George Washington stepped out as president, he went off. <laughs> to make rye whiskey. Um, really? Uh, yes, yeah, very noble. Very honorable. Very, very honorable. First in the uh, war. Yeah, I'm, I'm told that. I, uh, right. So, um, but now they're also starting to make something called American single malt, mm -hmm. which is being basically in the Scotch style. Right. And I've had about six bottles of it, and okay. it's exquisite. Really? It's okay. exquisite. But it's newer. Yeah, 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 yes. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah, very new. In fact, only now are they about to start making laws for what can be called American single malt. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. To have parameters on that. Yeah. So for those of you listening, uh, welcome back. This is another episode of All Good in the Brotherhood podcast, but not like normal. Uh, my brother, uh, Francisco Whitaker, is not here, or my other brother, Tom. It's just me, Nate Whitaker, right now, recording for the first time uh, from California at my own uh, college where I go to school, Thomas Aquinas College. And I'm joined today by uh, one of the professors here, Dr. John Francis Nieto. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, uh, it's, it's really good to have you. I, I've been meaning to do this for a little while. I've, been, I, I've obviously been doing the, the show for now, we've been going for over a year. And so in that time, like normally when I'm away during the semesters, my brother records a lot of episodes um, with people 
in Pennsylvania, back where we're from. But during the, the school year, I haven't normally been able to record my own here, but I've been wanting to. So thank you for being the first. Oh, great. Um, so yeah, uh, Scotch aside, I guess I just you are uh, pretty. I don't know. Well talked about, professor. Here, I hear a lot of uh, tidbits and urban legends about you having a pretty interesting past. So, if you don't mind, we, our our show is focused on uh, objective truth and, and goodness, and largely on Catholicism. Uh, it's very important to me and my brothers. Um, so, if you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, what was your own experience of, uh, I guess, falling in love with truth and philosophy? I know you're largely. Uh, you're big into philosophy and and also what was your experience of becoming uh, a, a Catholic a faithful Catholic since from what I've heard uh, that wasn't always the case yes um, I was certainly a, a pious little boy mm-hmm. and I took the Catholic faith very seriously as a child okay. and uh, was involved in uh, arguments with friends mm-hmm. um, uh, in defense of the church and the faith and I, I dare say uh, there was a split in my thought as a child. Mm. On the one hand, I was so devoted to the, uh, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and the American conception of freedom mm-hmm. that I thought that freedom was... Uh, the greatest possible good in some respect. And certainly the only thing that really made sense of political life. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I also believe that the uh, Roman church is the true successor of Christ. And therefore it taught the truth. And so I... So you're a good American and a papist. At the same time, yeah, yeah. And I... I sometimes saw the consequences of one and sometimes saw the consequences mm-hmm. of the other. Mm-hmm. So when I was a little boy, I was surprised that uh, we were studying the defeat of the Spanish Armada with apparent pleasure. Right. Uh, uh, when, I, when I knew that was the Catholic side. I'm right. not saying it's just simple. Right. It's that simple. But, but I was wondering why we were looking at this from a Catholic point of view. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it, I would also uh, define freedom uh, when we're talking about it in our uh, classes on American government in a way that in the long run I don't think is consistent with Christian life. Right. And that played out uh, in such a way that um, when I was in my my mid-teens, uh, I started to really associate with um, uh, people who are socialists mm-hmm. and started to think as a socialist and uh, passed through a very short communist phase and then really finally became an anarchist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was a, 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 I never joined a party. Mm-hmm. I had a, a friend who would mock communists enough <laughs> you uh, avoided that kept me from yeah, yeah joining a party though I would have. Uh, but then I did seriously uh, become an anarchist, which is conceived of as the end of communism. Really, um, though I was starting to think of uh, anarchism as something we would try to pursue without passing through mm-hmm. a communist uh, um, condition because I was against uh, 
a global <laughs> a right. government, and I was against an, an absolute state, a single mm-hmm. a single state for the whole world. Right. So would this have been, when you were growing up and then going through that time in your own personal life, would that have been uh, while the USSR was still around? Oh, yes, it was, yes. Right, okay, so you and, had a very strong witness of communism as a, as a dictatorship and yes. dominating power. Yes, in fact, one of the things that made clear to me that I uh, could not uh, that I really was not an anarchist mm-hmm. was the fact that I knew I could not uh, pursue a revolution with some foreign power. Right. I knew I, I I realized at some point that the American people were not going to have a revolution. Interesting. And I knew I couldn't do it. Uh, I imagine with Russians, I didn't. It's right, not right. like I really thought I was going to do that. Yeah. But I had to ask myself if I'm really serious, then I should be willing to do this. Mm-hmm. And I knew I could not, and I knew I couldn't do it for the same reason I was an anarchist, right. because I wanted people to govern themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you ever, um, if that's the case, then uh, if you didn't want to take kind of a, a confrontational uh, way of expressing your communism, communism. Did that? Did you ever? I don't know. Take a more radical uh, stance with your anarchism. Like, sure, did, sure. Did you yeah. Ever now, take did, part in like an active uh, movement. Yeah. Now, while I was a, a communist that a uh, year or so, I certainly was involved in demonstrations and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as an anarchist, I was always uh, a, unlike anarchists early in the twentieth century. I was against assassination, mm-hmm. and I was never quite a pacifist, mm-hmm. but I was more inclined toward peaceful efforts at anarchism. Right. And I myself hope to write a great book in defense of anarchism. Interesting. Interesting. So if, if you were raised and, and started out your life as a very, like you said, pious young boy, how had your faith kind of, uh, I guess, I guess I should say devolved, or, or where had it gone in this time while your political activism was, was taking shape? Like, had, you, had you kind of just let go of the faith entirely? Or? <laughs> I did, I did. I talked myself out of the faith Interesting. Uh, when I was a teenager um, in uh, probably about 14, 13, 14 years old mm-hmm. because I didn't want to follow the Ten Commandments. I see, yeah. It's that simple. Right. So I... I convinced myself that one couldn't really be sure of anything historical. Mm. Uh, And since you couldn't have any certain truth that was historical truth, you couldn't really know anything about Christ or the church. Um, At the same time, I, I, I believed a lot of other historical things, but I use it. I I consciously worked through that Mm -hmm. argument in order to free myself from the restraints of the church. So it's kind of a rational excuse to get around moral problems. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's very clear to me. Uh, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think I long doubted that that's what I was doing. Interesting, interesting. So, as a child, then, had you been, would you say, well catechized, or were you just kind of living a Catholic life without much knowledge? Uh, it was somewhere in between. Okay. I, I learned a lot from school, but then we also had a lot of miss. Uh, uh, in, uh, false instruction mm-hmm. in school, right. and in particular, when I was in uh, seventh grade, we had a, a teacher. Uh, he was a brother from the seminary who really denied a lot of truths of the faith. Really, and I don't know how I knew I knew those were 
those were against what he was saying was against the truth of the Catholic faith. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how, I can't remember now how worried I was about that. Mm-hmm. Later, uh, well, actually, even when I was an anarchist, I remember be, being interviewed by a, by someone from the seminary up in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I was impressed by the fact that I actually felt more sure about uh, uh, the fact that the Catholic that the Catholic Church would never give up the faith really? that he was. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah That's I mean, troubling. <laughs> That's pretty problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard there's a lot of sort of uh, internal chaos that happened right after the Second Vatican Council, especially in America, yes. um, where people were trying to, you know, uh, execute the this what they call the spirit of the council and did, did you see or feel the effects oh, of that absolutely chaos? yeah yeah the, um, so I, I think certainly there's no question that one thing that really affected my faith mm-hmm. was the illusion that we were now going to convert the world mm-hmm. we spoke then of a second Pentecost right and the idea was that now that the Catholic Church was going to open itself to everybody's thought, everybody was going to come into the Catholic Church and we're going to see this resurgence of faith. And that didn't happen. Right. And I I was bothered by that. I was troubled by that. You were troubled by the fact that it wasn't happening or troubled by the idea that we were trying to just throw open the that it wasn't, everybody? That it wasn't happening because okay. I believed in those things. I, I right. really believed in right. uh, the... The new mass. I believed mm-hmm. in the. I used to play the guitar for folk music. Really? Okay. You know, folk, okay. folk masses. Simon and Garfunkel. Masses that, that, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I've heard about silence. It. Yeah. Really? Okay. Wow. <laughs> that is a different time. Um, yeah, yeah, very much. It, it's funny how it's it's sort of evolved now, where now it seems like the the popular trend for a lot of faithful Catholics is uh, kind of the reverse of what happened in like the sixties and seventies, where now. People are flying back to the Latin Mass and and just with with music. I mean, you said you were maybe playing guitar and Mass. That's that's much rarer now. I think a lot of people are going back to, to chant, but um, which is interesting to see. So sorry, getting getting back on track. Though I get I get on tangents pretty easily. Uh, with with your own story, how did uh, how did you I guess come back around to the faith or to a, a more stable way of life? If if you because where we left off, sounded like you were kind of on that anarchist train. Yes. So how did that uh, turn into becoming Catholic again? So I, I'd i spent time certainly doing uh, very practical work, and I did have ideas about running for office someday eventually. Really? Even as an anarchist, yes. Okay. And there were people who wanted me to do that. But I also felt uh, disappointed in the kind of work that I was doing mm-hmm. um, up uh uh, the the practical political work I found uh, dispiriting because it didn't really ever play out the way it was supposed to play out. Uh, so I started thinking that my real job would be to write mm-hmm. uh, a work defending anarchist philosophy. And while doing that, I... I started working on... I was going to have a whole section on literature and there was a section about... Uh, creation myths and so on. Really? So I was looking at a lot of creation myths, and then I thought I had to look at Genesis. Oh, oh boy. And I was struck by how different it was. From the other myths? Yes, and and uh, above all, the sense of order that was there mm-hmm. in Genesis. And 
I I remember hearing uh, these words of Christ uh, come to me. Uh, uh, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass wow. away. Mm-hmm. And I remember very distinctly thinking, that's the kind of truth I want. Okay, interesting. Uh, that's that's what I wanted to be in this work right. of anarchist philosophy. Yeah, yeah. So, so did you have a background in philosophy at this point? Had you been? Studying? I'd never studied philosophy. In fact, I had. Uh, I just right around that time, I began to read uh, Plato. Mm-hmm. I, I went out to a farm that a friend had. And I knew he had a lot of books, so I decided I wouldn't take any of my books. Right. I thought I was going to read a. He was a rabbi, so I thought I'd read a lot of Jewish books. Back mm-hmm. But I ended up reading the Apology. Okay. And was very deeply, deeply moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and not long after that, uh, a palm reader came up to. I was reciting poetry at a at a festival, mm-hmm. and a palm reader came up to read my palm, and he told me I, I had the palm of a philosopher. So <laughs> really at, interesting. At that point, I didn't know what you would do to be right. a philosopher. So right, uh, but I knew. I you know at the same time I was trying to write these works that really were philosophy. Right. Though I didn't I didn't use that word as okay. far as I remember. Interesting then. So it, it sounds like you're kind of experimenting in different ways. At, the, at that time with different, I don't know, intriguing things that I guess the, it seemed like they were all open to you. Since you mentioned palm readers, this is maybe tangential, but did you ever experiment with the New Age or were you ever... Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I studied astrology to some extent. Really? Uh, I, I cast horoscopes for friends really? and okay. did readings for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I uh, very, sorry to say, I dabbled with the tarot. Okay. Um, and in fact, that that helped to scare me mm-hmm. uh, because I uh, was looking at one version of the tarot mm-hmm. and the author was uh, promoting he, he was he had replaced the hanged man which is often thought to be a symbol of Christ uh, with the card uh, I think the priestess and he made a mm-hmm. reference to the scarlet woman and when I heard that I remember thinking I've heard of the Scarlet Woman, and this is not okay. This I, is I not something I want Woman anything to do. Well, the Scarlet Woman is is in the Apocalypse and other uh, uh, oh uh, in Revelation. In Revelation, okay. yeah, okay. yeah. So I knew he was celebrating the Scarlet Woman, mm-hmm. and somehow I knew that I didn't want to be on that side. Right. Yeah. I knew that uh, whatever I thought about religion, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be on the side that was. Uh, again, described as a scarlet woman, and I didn't want—I I didn't want to uh, glorify evil, mm-hmm. even if I didn't think it was really evil. I didn't right. want to look—I didn't want to uh, present myself or or as evil, mm-hmm. uh, even if it was just glamorous way right. of presenting something. That's really interesting. Then, so you still had a, a sense of conscience. Even about things that I did. you hadn't settled on as wrong. I did, and uh, so I was at a, I was at a, a, a ritual in honor of Mercury mm-hmm. going from retrograde motion into forward motion. Okay, and there was a clear demonic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Oh, this was like an astrological, not just an ast- astronomy event? No, yeah, this was an a- astrological. New age. Yeah, okay. it was actually, a, yeah, it was very much a ritual oh, in wow. honor of Mercury as if Mercury were a god. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's bizarre. And they wanted people to relax 
So they dimmed the lights and everyone was supposed to uh, uh, moan or something like that. I, I remember feeling rather uncomfortable about yeah, that. Yeah, I imagine. But then I was really shocked. This is a very strange thing to say, but this is exactly what happened. There was only one voice coming out of everybody's mouth but mine. It was just a single voice. And I had a friend there and I started to shake his arm and say, do you hear that? Wait, like it was a unified voice? There's just one voice. It wasn't that they were singing the same note or anything. No. It just was one voice. I can't describe it any other way. It was terrifying. And I I shook my buddy's hand and uh, he was like a zombie. Oh my gosh. There's no, he couldn't respond. Were they like hallucinogenics? No, 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 no. I don't even think anybody speaks smoking dope. I don't, I don't think so. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. Right. (laughs) Anyway, so, uh, I felt that, that there was this, this demon that wanted me to submit mm-hmm. and would, this thing would not start until I submitted. I'm, afraid, I'm sorry to say I did because I got scared. Right. Uh, um, uh, I looked at the door and thought, can I get to the door before these people come after me? Oh, gosh. Uh, um, <laughs> that's, that's a scary moment. <laughs> and I probably could have. I probably right. could have. Uh, uh, this actually happened in a school uh, gym, gymnasium. Really? In fact, yeah. Public school gymnasium. Anyway, uh, when uh, because my friend wanted to go back to the house of these people, I went. But I was trying to get him away because mm-hmm. uh, I said, these people are evil. I said, this is something really evil. Right. Uh, because I somehow knew that, uh, again, even if you didn't believe the thing was evil, it was wrong to present yourself as evil. That's a really interesting way It was to wrong to, uh, to consent. To take on the Yeah, this, to the consent to that glamour evil. and appearance of evil. Yeah, That's really, that's remarkable that you had that awareness and that kind of twinge of conscience, even in spite of oh. making wrong decisions. So, um, did you, just, well, while we're still on this topic, did you ever have, other than that, an experience uh, with, like, an evil spirit or any, any moments in your life where you felt, like, I don't know, any, any fear in that regard? Well, that that was the, the, that was probably the, the experience. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. hard and, to top that. And uh, um, there's a passage in Till We Have Faces by I C.S. Lewis yeah. where, where the heroine speaks about having heard a god speak to her. Mm-hmm. And it was when reading that that I realized, oh my goodness, that's what happened to me. Really? <laughs> but it but wasn't a right nice time. God. Yeah, it right. wasn't a God who loved me or anything like that. But right. it, but I did feel this was a being who was in in immeasurable ways superior to me. That's incredible. And I knew it was not, it could not be seen, right. but I knew it was present. And I, those days you I had, had an awareness that it was I had not no a good distinct power. belief. Yeah, oh, I knew it was evil. Yeah. Right. And I had no distinct aw- belief in those days of uh, uh, gods or anything like right. that. I, uh, 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 I, I may have been close to re- returning to the idea of God. I used to read an uh, Upanishad, one of the Eastern uh, uh, Hindu works, the Isa Upanishad, and I would meditate on that in the morning. And I came to believe there is a God, right? Um, that God has personality, mm-hmm. um, but I'd had no more belief than that at that point. If, wow. if uh, 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 but it, it, I was I was thoroughly terrified. Wow. So, was there ever a point in your life, though, where you were really an atheist, or was it always kind of agnostic? No, when when I was in sixth grade, there was the famous uh, um, Supreme Court decision mm-hmm. with Madeline Murray O'Hare, where they kicked they uh, removed prayer from schools. Right. And I remember thinking then how absurd it is to define yourself by a being you don't believe in. 
mm-hmm. uh, that there's something crazy about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so I thought I'd never become an atheist. I think I also knew then that it would it, uh, um, it'd be a, impossible to prove God didn't exist. Maybe you could. You had that revelation when you were <laughs> as, in yeah, sixth grade. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. Impressive. You're in sixth grade. Yeah, sixth Incredible. grade. Yeah, yeah. I could see that you couldn't prove God doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think then you could prove God does exist. Okay. Um, uh, but I, so I, I usually spoke of myself as agnostic. Okay. Um, though at one point, this is more or less very close to the time I'm describing. Right, uh, I described where the, uh, or oh, I had this satanic experience. Um, very close to that, I remember being, oh, it was the same day I had the palm reader okay. speak to me because uh, a friend and I were at this arts festival where I read the poetry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I said, well, I, I would almost say the gods. And this friend said, oh, don't worry about that. You can talk about gods to me. I believe in gods. Really? Okay. And that was the beginning. Uh, first time I ever spoke to anybody in my leftist world right. about spiritual beings. Interesting. So I'm just getting a sense that you went to art festivals and experienced the new age. Were, were you sort of, would you call yourself a hippie? In good, good, good. That's a good way of putting it. I went to San Francisco to be a hippie. Okay. Now the hippie movement was over. Okay. Uh, my mother had said uh, that she would have become a flower child if she didn't have us children. <laughs> and I remember thinking that's good she has us. Right. But, um, <laughs> but, I, but there was a romanticism that was still in the air. My cousins were were hippies they were literally okay. they were literally living in golden gate park in oh wow places. okay yeah so i but i went later and i was i was hoping to to tap into that world and right. there it did exist to it's some extent it wasn't quite yeah it wasn't quite certainly wasn't what it was in the 67 or 69 right right and then uh, a few minutes ago you made reference that uh something about uh looking at genesis and seeing the, the philosophical order or, or you said you mentioned that the, the passage came to you of uh, where Christ says, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. You, you said that uh, that really stuck out to you, and you said that's the kind of truth I want to cling on to. So it seems to me that, um, you know, the, the big three that people also mention, truth, goodness, and beauty, one of those is normally key in somebody's conversion. You know, either they uh, are struck by aesthetic beauty or... You know, they experience genuine goodness. Mm-hmm. But in, in your case, you said even though you didn't have much f- experience with philosophy, you said for you the, the winning point was really truth. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I had, um, from the time I was a child, I had a great love of beauty. Mm-hmm. And so I was very much involved in poetry uh, in all these years uh, and trying to uh, express things beautifully. But there's no question that truth had a power to divide things yeah <laughs> to separate and and make something clear yeah. in a way that even beauty could i knew could not mm-hmm. um so when i when i did come back to the church and went to uh, mass for the first time again i went to the exquisite uh church um saint dominic's Okay. Uh, and as I walked in, I told myself, you can't become a Catholic again just because it's beautiful. Really? Okay. <laughs> because the building was, was Where is so, that? so beautiful. Uh, Steiner and um, I want to say Goff, but I might be wrong there. 
It's it's uh, a couple blocks from Fillmore and Steiner. Okay. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fillmore and Goff, I think so. But I think it is Steiner and Goff. Okay. Not wrong. Okay. Um, and it was a very, very beautiful church. Uh, Dominicans mm, uh, okay. um, uh, still there. They're they're a very fine group of Dominicans beautiful. as well. Yeah. And I was very fortunate to come back to the church there. As it turns out, it was the only church that had a morning mass near where I live. Oh, praise God! Yeah. Yes. It's a good thing I worked out. Right? But yes, it, it was, but there's no question I, that I knew I needed to find the truth, yeah, and that it was a truth that uh, would. Uh, I thought I had truth regarding anarchism, mm-hmm. and I thought I knew that truth as the truth of human nature. When I was a little kid, my I, I mentioned one of my cousins was a hippie. And she was staying with us for a while. My mother asked her, what do you hippies have against society? Yeah. And the, my cousin Charlotte said, well, uh, it's too too far from nature. And I remember thinking she's exactly right uh, that that the, the state, the uh, um, any political body had to be close to nature. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember... As I thought through that over the years, I thought that involved not only the natural world, that sense of nature, but also right. human nature. Mm-hmm. And that it was very, very difficult, if not impossible, for a state to be healthy if human nature isn't close to the natural world. Right. And so I thought, at, at that point, I was very much, uh, and am still an agriculturalist, if you will. Right. And, uh, but I came to believe that freedom is the thing that simply speaking defined human nature and separated us from all other beings. Interesting. And therefore, I was an anarchist because right. I thought only human freedom right. uh, can, uh, can found the state and bring us together in some kind of community. Right. That's really interesting that from that idea that, that freedom was what defines human nature that from that you got anarchy because it seems like to me you could go the opposite direction and can if you look at freedom as you know uh, a sign of rationality you might look at that that is truly kind of what defines man is that he is rational it's what set sets him apart from the rest of creation and yet that i think you know as aristotle would say that is what uh, causes man to be political in nature and, and not anarchist you know it's, yes it's yes. kind of seeing you do yes. like the opposite uh, well yeah, yeah i don't i don't think I, I was against anarchism until I came to see anarchism as a, as a way of bringing people together. Okay, so you thought it was yeah. political? I never thought of anarchism as mere disorder. Okay. Or rather, when I did think that, I, I thought it was a bad thing. Okay. It was when I came to think of small, very small communities living by the conscious consent Mm-hmm. of its members. Right. I don't think too much different today. Okay. But yeah. I don't think you can have healthy community unless it's very fairly small. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the main difference is that I saw that freedom and immediate consent is not the only principle. Right. Okay. Uh, above all, I realize uh, you have to raise children, you have to take care of children, you have to educate them. Uh, and therefore, I realized that the sort of sexual freedom I believed in as an anarchist right. couldn't go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I came to believe there, there 
was a serious morality to sex. Right, right. And, and that that was political too. Right. Likewise, seeing that God exists uh, made me realize, uh, again, this is even before I returned to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. As soon as I really saw God must exist, I realized there has to be some communal response to that. Mm-hmm. That can't be up to individuals alone. Right. You bring up sexual freedom. Since, since you said earlier in life, a big part of your kind of rejection of religion had been the rejection of the Ten Commandments. Was sexual freedom a big part of that? Oh, no, absolutely no question. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I wasn't worried about too many of the other. I wasn't looking to kill anybody. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's probably the most normal for any young person. Um, but, okay, so out of this, uh, it seems like you were pretty philosophical, even with maybe not a whole lot of formal background in philosophy. How did you bridge the gap from that to, uh, maybe way ahead of it, but uh, how did you bridge the gap from that point to being you know, now a tutor? Or, like, how, how did you, I guess, uh, start formally studying philosophy and, and coming around? Yeah, so actually, in some sense, the palm reader helped uh make things clear because when he said this is a philosopher's poem I said well politics I said I'm interested in politics and he said no this is philosophy and I said well politics philosophy are practically the same Hmm. and he said don't teach me my art (laughs) really Uh, yeah yeah so I I gave him I I, I had a few bucks Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I split my money with him and uh, then I went off to a Hindu temple. Okay. Yeah. I thought I should worship God after getting such a beautiful, <laughs> noble reading. But so I really had been thinking of politics as philosophy up to then. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what he helped do is move my mind to think more about philosophy, properly speaking. And uh, then I realized that uh, I really had already been reading philosophical works, uh, not only uh, uh, Plato, but I'd started reading others just from that urge to understand reality and know what's really true. Um, And so then I just became more serious about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And within a year or two, I started taking philosophy classes. I didn't know you could go to school and and take philosophy classes. Oh, really? Yeah, reading about Socrates made me think you you should go to the mall and just start okay. talking to people. Right, right. <laughs> That's really interesting. Uh, so I, I was I was really hard to hear. In your mind before yeah, that. oh yeah. yeah, it just seemed like something you do because you love it. It never right. occurred to me you could get a degree in it. Huh. I, I really just didn't know that. Right, right. So, uh, so then, uh, it, when I did come back to the church, then I found out uh, that uh, more or less any track I was, any any life I was inclined to, to follow would involve me studying philosophy very seriously. And so I so I started doing that. And was it uh, soon after that that you had your first exposure to Thomism? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, um, uh, I, I had a very good uh, teacher in a, in a, a course in uh, uh, junior college, and he taught Every philosopher imaginable except Aristotle. Okay. Um, he would only use Aristotle to show us uh, syllogisms. And uh, in St. Thomas, he showed us the five ways. Um, and uh, I was very far from really understanding them. Right. But I took them seriously. Uh, and in fact, at some point, I got hold of uh, um, his arguments in what's called the, the uh, Summa Contra Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read an argument there, and I thought, well, I know I don't understand this, but someday I'm going to understand this argument. Yeah, uh, yeah. And accidentally, I did my senior thesis on it. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't realize it until 
one night in the middle of the night when I woke up and finally understood the argument. Right. A few minutes later, I realized, oh, I've been studying this argument for about four or five years. Right, right. In, in summary, what is that argument? Uh, this is the argument that um, God must exist because there must be a first mover mm-hmm. of beings that are in motion. And the route of this particular argument is that if... Uh, a body were simply to move itself, then all of its parts would have to be moving themselves as well. Interesting. And that itself would show that the whole was moving through the parts moving right. instead of moving itself as a whole. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, so then there wouldn't be like a, I guess, a clear cause there. So yeah. you'd want to attribute the causation back. I would think, to the whole, yeah. but the actual thing would seem from that argument to come from the parts. So yes, and especially given that sorry. every every part, every whole has parts that would have to be moving in their own right. Right, okay. Well. Yeah, so just further the question, kind yes. of what yes. actually resolve it. That's all it does, yeah, put off the evil day. Yeah. Okay. And is, was it around this time after you realized that philosophy, uh, you know, was something you could actually study formally? Was it around that time that you came here? Yeah. Yes, that that is okay. true. Okay. Though I had already come back to the ch- church before then. Okay. I can't. Uh, what happened is while I was beginning to study philosophy and so on, I thought about the fact that uh, baptismal vows had been made in my name. Right. And this is when I looked back and I realized, well, I really just talk myself out of religion mm-hmm. in order to have some fun. Right, right. Because I don't want to obey. And I realized then I had no real objection to the church, uh, uh, properly speaking. Not like intellectually, you mean. Yeah. Yes, my my roommate hated the church and he really? would go on rants. And I, uh, I would realize that the things he hated about it, I loved. I loved Latin. The, uh, I love the dark churches. I love candles. I yeah. love uh, um, the music and so on. And so that started me thinking about why I had really left. But then I was really horrified when I realized a vow had been made in my name to worship God. And right. I had not kept that vow. Yeah. Even though as a child I intended to. And I, you know, I, I took that seriously. I, mm-hmm. I had no complaint wow. uh, uh, about the religion. That's interesting. So it's kind of a sense of responsibility almost at that point. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I realized that uh, a vow had been made not just to anybody, but to God. Right. And right. that I had to keep that vow or at least have some reason why I knew that the vow wasn't binding. Mm-hmm. I was scared. I was very scared. Really? Okay. See, that itself is remarkable to me. Because I, I would think if you kind of were just on the brink of religion anyway or any respect for religion, that... Uh, th- that sort of vow made to, you know, the Catholic God would, would seemingly be kind of meaningless. But uh, you had enough respect still for the Christian God to recognize that a vow made to him was something to be taken seriously. Yes, I don't know if, I don't know if uh, Gandhi's autobiography was particularly important here, but I do remember the fact that he made a judgment that uh, he had no... Uh, uh, no problem with the religion that he had been raised with. So when he started taking religion seriously, he hadn't for some time. But when he started taking religion seriously, he judged that he should stick with the religion he was raised in. Mm-hmm. I didn't simply do that. Yeah. Uh, um, I was thinking that this was a vow that was a, obliging right. unless I had a serious reason opposed to it. Right. Okay. And then uh, between your time, I guess, so then you became Catholic largely because of that. And then, 
you said you, you came here and studied philosophy formally. Yes. And then after that, was, was did you spend any time uh, abroad or doing anything between uh, them and when you came? You came I, a professor. I, I went to Notre Dame and okay. studied philosophy there. I okay. did spend some time in Europe. Uh, Looking at manuscripts, um, and but I spent more time looking at European cities and <laughs> listening to good music, yeah. seeing beautiful works of art. Your favorite city? Uh, uh, oh, Avila, probably. Really? Yes, uh, mostly because uh, the spirit of Santa Teresa is there, mm-hmm. Teresa of Avila, uh, um, and so the I, I'm very attached to her, and so the the feeling of her is really quite wonderful. Yeah. There. Yeah. Have you been to CC? No, I've not. Okay, I'm not. yeah. Just what you said about uh, Avila reminded me of yeah. with with the CC. It's very, you can very tangibly feel the presence of Saint Francis, and it's it's incredible. Uh, and I mean, I don't know about Avila, but at least in the CC, the architecture really hasn't changed that much. Yes. It still feels yes. like a medieval town. So yes, it's well, Avila still has its walls. Does it? Okay, yes, yeah, yeah. the CC. Yeah, yeah. so the, it's beautiful. The walls are magnificent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I guess that brings us up roughly to, to today. So where are you uh, now with, uh, I don't know, being a professor? How, how is, mm-hmm. what, what, what am I trying to say, I guess? How is life? <laughs> um, well, I, I, I can say this. Uh, when I was uh, a student, uh, one long night I was sick and thought, because uh, uh, it, it got really late and I hadn't slept. Mm-hmm. I got a little delusional and thought I was dying. Right. Um, and so I, I thought, well, I'll become a saint in these last few months I have. I said, but I do regret that I, I won't study philosophy. Right. Um, and when the morning came, I realized I wasn't dying. Right, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, we all have this. I, I had one just the other night. I was, uh, it was literally so small. It was just a congested nose. Uh, from like, like I, had, I had a cold. I had a cold, and one time, like I woke up like coughing, there was something stuck in my throat, like you know, like from from the cold. And I was thinking, what if I just like you know suffocate my sleep? And I was like, yeah, that definitely could happen, but it, it never happens. It always it always feels so frightening though at night when you have like a cold. It's like oh, this could be my last night. It's pretty irrational, but yeah. So well, so so uh, I told uh, one of my teachers this story. And years later, he asked me, well, was it worth it? And I said, well, was, was it worth living so you could study philosophy? Mm-hmm. And I can say yes. I, there's, yeah. a, 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 um, a, apart from the faith itself, uh, nothing has been a greater cause of happiness in this life mm-hmm. than the deep and serious study of philosophy. Praise God. That's amazing. I mean, that is sort of the, the climax of uh, Aristotle's ethics is, you know, the, the life of ha- ultimate happiness is the life of contemplation of the, yes. the greatest thing. That's right. And above all, the study of God. Right, yeah. right. Uh, now, in your own experience with philosophy, though, if you, if you had, cause obviously it seems like it can split into different, you know, categories or subjects. Do you have a, one that appeals to you more than others, like physics, metaphysics? Or? Certainly, yeah. So certainly uh, for me, uh, I've rested most in what we call metaphysics. Mm-hmm. But the reason for that, in some sense, is because it also has another name that Aristotle gives it in the logic called the universal science. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it has the power to take hold of the lower sciences. Right. And really produce one knowledge of reality. Okay. And I think even with the sciences, uh, what we call the empirical sciences, right. uh, uh, through through natural philosophy, it can take hold of those as well. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see people like St. Thomas and Aristotle, they always have a kind of poise. Whatever they're discussing, whatever question they're raising, they see the thing they're talking about in the whole universe in light of, 
the highest causes, mm-hmm. not as if every there's only one science, right. but as if the causes that are at work in all the sciences are ultimately from the first cause. Interesting. Okay. And so, so even though it's the last in the order of discovery, it's the yes. first in the order of causing. That's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. 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 In some sense, that's what it is to be a philosopher. Right. Wow. To see the world that way through that first cause. Beautiful. It's not well, that much different from religion. You're giving me hype for next semester because we're, you know, I'm a, I'm a senior, so yes, for the, yes. this last semester we're going to be tackling the metaphysics, so a little bit intimidated, but <laughs> but also really excited, so yeah. Okay, but, good. Yeah, thank you so much for talking, Mr. My pleasure. It's been a My really pleasure. good time, and I'm glad we could have you on the show. Likewise. For those of you listening again, uh, this has been another episode of the All Good and the Brotherhood podcast, and uh, we hope to, you know, hear, or we, we're not going to hear from you. You guys keep uh, listening to us, and we'll uh, continue to drop our episodes, so thank you, and all of you. Uh, Have a good day and God bless.